Welcome to Take Brain Stalk with your girl Flavella Fong Gang. And today I'm gonna fuel your brain with some bomb knowledge. Are you ready? Let's do it. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Tech Brain Stalk. It's me, of course, Flavella, your guest, your host, and the voice behind Tech Brain Stalk. And as usual, I'm here to give you the creme de la creme, the most interesting people that I meet, that I know, that I love and you know they come with so much knowledge and expertise that i feel it would be so bad to keep it for me and as we run and navigate through the magical space of technology with the buzzword which is ai right now we need to address more things and i think for me when i think about ai the thing that worries me the most is about data data but also aligned to that the danger around cybersecurity. i'm not here to address you know address and raise care mongers that's not the point of this of this podcast episode, but to really just align and address the opportunities with better understanding of the data. So for this conversation to talk about how can data drive innovation and growth, as Vettelin Anastasov, who is going to be talking with me about how can data drive innovation. And I think this is something that you're going to love to listen more than once. Before I start, before we hear his beautiful voice, and I should also give you a disclaimer. We are part together of the largest network of tech advocates. So I run GTA Black Women Tech, and he runs Tech Advocate Fund. Maybe advocate should be different in fonts, but that's another conversation because we laugh about it so much. But I think what's interesting about our network is that we're really collaborative and we understand um, how data, how data, but also how Operating in a space that really collaborative drives more growth. And this is something that I wanted to discuss with him, but also having you as the audience. So let me tell you more about him. Bulgarian entrepreneur Faninscape Bridge, a data consultancy specializing in strategy and management, is also the partner at Think Red Ops. His journey spans Bulgaria from Singapore and the UK. And like me, he also speaks French, but trust me, his accent is not as strong as mine. He's starting in a call center to develop his business acumen. Person studying in France, focusing on AI and blockchain. So we have someone who understands this and is not a beginner, is not one of his frenzy. He understands what he's talking about. And then in Singapore, he worked with tech startups and later joined BNP Paribas in France as a data consultant. And then in the UK, he assisted top financial institutions in data analytics. And in 2023, founded Bridge to promote data management practices for SMBs. So Zet, how are you? Hey, Flavilla. Great to be here. <laughs> I was telling you that we know each other, obviously. And um, I think yeah. it's, it's, my, it's a selfish act I like to do. And it's not because I don't, I wanted you, I had such a great conversation offline. I thought, oh my gosh, you need to tell everything about the importance of understanding data to drive innovation and growth. And I feel that a lot of companies, you know, SM, SMBs, but also entrepreneurs, don't necessarily have the right foundation to do it right. So, yeah. Before we talk about the subject, I would love if you can really, I'll give a bit of an intro, but really what led you to where you are right now? I think that, you know, you have multiple careers, you've, you know, you've worked around the world, but really why do you think it's so important um, the way that you do? Yeah, thanks a lot for, uh, for giving me the floor. Um, like I said, great to be here. So quite like what you said um like earlier in your career as well you you haven't really thought about data or you weren't so interested in data but actually i think everybody looking at like in hindsight you can actually realize that you've been working with data um quite a lot 
Well, that happened with me. So I started my career in a call center in Bulgaria. I was working for a Canadian client and I was basically on the front line doing B2C sales. So I have sold anything really um, except cars and food. So you name it, furniture, sports equipment, whatever it may be, underwear, right? Um, And then, so I was doing sales over the phone as well as customer support. And in hindsight, like I said, looking back, I I was dealing with data uh, every day. I was working in in a CRM, like an old school CRM system. I was also kind of testing earlier recommendation engines. So um, we had a technical team. Obviously, they developed those algorithms that would suggest, um, you know, what is the next best product that we can propose to a customer while while on the phone with them. And as in the second year of being there, um, the focus started to shift from purely sales-based targets towards uh, building report and uh, net promoter score targets um i started to think that this kind of job is going to be automated in in a few years time with all the rpa automations um now we can see that the chatbots taken over right <laughs> or, or 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 so some say um but i was like um all right i, I need to pivot here because I, I need to look for the future and make myself relevant uh, in like 5 10 15 20 years so that pivot took me to france where I went to study my master's. Um, I also had um, different jobs spanning from um, like student type of jobs, delivering pizzas to like project management in a KYC, sort of a background checks company. And uh, while there, I was um, researching AI and blockchain, wrote a dissertation on them and, and basically how they impact business and, and, and management as a whole. So that work took me to Singapore where I was able to work at the heart of the Singaporean startup ecosystem uh, with deep tech startups. And basically I was a business developer developing co-innovation platforms there. On did that for half a year. On my way back, came back to Paris where I joined as an external consultant, BNP Paribas, one of the uh, major UK banks, the biggest in France. And was really interesting. Um, so I started as an external consultant, basically um, doing a prospective kind of a foresight study on data-driven business models. And it was kind of my first deep dive into, into the world of data-driven companies or analytics and, and so on. So, so we researched three examples from the Asia-Pacific region. Um, I was very fortunate to work with a Chinese colleague and we were able to study original documents um, in Chinese. So we studied China Telecom, China Mobile, which is one of the biggest telecoms there. We studied Hire, which is a Chinese um, home appliances company. They do like refrigerators and air conditioners and also Commonwealth Bank, which is a very famous example in the banking space of someone who has um, pivoted and um, transformed their uh, organization through data and and innovation on the back of that work i joined the chief data officer of the personal finance division of the bank um, in france and uh, basically started working on the data strategy and it was a really interesting journey so i've heard they tried a couple of times to develop data strategy before that but it wasn't really successful so it was really an opportunity to bring someone um someone from the outside uh, kind of um with a novel approach 
and it, it worked out. I mean, we built uh, an inclusive approach. Uh, we wanted to be as transparent as possible with all the stakeholders, uh, but also um, get them around the table, get their um, inputs for, for that data strategy. And of course, like every data strategy, it started with what is the business trying to do? Mm. So we looked at um, things like, um, you know, um, what are the uh, data uh, takeaways from their strategies? from the marketing, IT, operations, and so on. We also looked at external examples, uh, like what are the competitors saying, academia, and so on, and merging the external work with the internal uh, stakeholder in interviews. We basically developed that data strategy. So then two years and a half, basically working on the deployment of that strategy, primarily data management and data culture types of uh, initiatives. And 2021, moved to London. Uh, joined Ernst Young. I was part of the data analytics practice in Canary Wharf, working in financial services. And my work there um, was kind of like, a, I frame it as um, data strategy activation because I was working on different projects that are within the data strategy domain. So I was uh, helping um, a bank migrate their reporting from on-premise to the cloud. I was assessing the data risks when it comes to personal data shared with third parties for another big bank. I was also um, data product owner. And throughout last year, 2022, um, I went through a lot of soul searching. I also hit a personal milestone of 30 years old. And I was like, now's the time to actually um, start my own business. So in January, I started um, Skatebridge, which is data strategy and data management consultancy. And I help SMBs in really um, navigating the complex data landscape uh, identifying use cases and in the past few months I've, I'm a, i also became a partner for think RevOps, which is a revenue operations company and i basically brought the data enablement piece there so that is um my journey now that is definitely a journey, <laughs> that is definitely a journey. and and um from what i'm hearing we've been, we've been doing it for some time and you know exactly how to talk about this subject so the first question I want to ask you is looking at, we're talking about data for growth and innovation. What are the things that the good companies understand how to drive, how to use data to drive innovation do? What do they do that others who are not driving innovation for data? Right. So I think even before that, right, it's, it's basically jumping and using data because there are still a lot of companies out there who operate purely on intuition or maybe some very you know high level understanding and not really going deep into the granularity of okay who are my customers who are my partners that i'm working with what do they really want so in terms of using data for for innovation and, and driving growth you can you can do a lot right you, you can you can basically um use data to um personalize your offers um improve your customer segmentation, for example. You can identify distinct segments within your customer base and you can tailor those offerings that suit the specific needs of the customers. Now, I, I did touch a little bit on my previous work uh, researching Hire in China. What they did is they were able to, to merge the operational data in their manufacturing facilities with the online um, customer journey and basically how a client is ordering a refrigerator or an air conditioner online, they were able to merge this 
to provide a, a, an end product that was completely customizable. You, you could change almost all parameters of your air conditioner because they were able to merge those two data domains. Now, another way to also achieve growth is, is through predictive analytics. Everybody's talking about AI right now. Um, so you've got machine learning. Um, obviously, the generative AI now is, is all the rage. But a tangible result can actually be achieved with uh, predictive analytics. And, and here you can do stuff like basically analyzing your historical data to predict future trends or behaviors. And historic data is, doesn't necessarily go into uh, repeat. Uh, those trends aren't, doesn't, don't necessarily go into repeat themselves, but um, they can give you sort of um, uh, an indication where th things might go. So I have an example like this. Um, in one of the big banks that we've worked um, in London, we were basically uh, doing a, a predictive analytics on, on customer churn. So it was really interesting to understand first why do customers um, stop using our products? Second, what are the criteria based on which um, we lose them? And then uh, being able to actually analyze the trends, being able to put those trends onto the existing customers, uh, flag who are the high-risk customers, and based on that, um, drive sort of your, your strategy to address the customers that are at high risk. Uh, and of course, you can also implement use data to drive more operational efficiency or to any any kind of market analysis basically okay so let's look at it from someone who is either you know smb or, or maybe a smaller business what would be your approach to now clearing up the house and having a better management of data what is the first thing that you think that people should start doing what would be your approach to it yeah, so this is really how I, uh, how I approach it currently. So first and foremost, you need to be clear what you want to do um, mm. with the current data that you're having or being clear what you want to do, identify the data that you don't currently have and how you're going to get it. Now, that can be through third-party data providers or some additional data collection. That all depends on the strategy. But it, number one is... What do you want to do? Number two is then assessing your current data landscape. So this is really looking at the data lifecycle. You know, you're having all the different data sources. You're ingesting that data or you're collecting it. Then you are having uh, sort of the, the storage. How do you store that information? If it's structured data, maybe it's going to be on a on a warehouse or if it's unstructured in a data lake um, or a hybrid between the two, like a, like a lake house. Then once you get all the raw data in one place, you actually need to think how you're going to transform it because uh, raw data is hardly um, mineable for insights. Once you transform the data, now's the time to build those um, dashboards and um, insights and to actually push them towards the ones that would consume that information and you um, assess who are your stakeholders that would be consuming the data um, and after that you're basically planning okay what do we do with those insights do we uh, build a feedback loop that's gonna bring those insights back to the raw data so that we can 
improve that um, analytical model mm. or what are we going to archive and so on. But, but I, I usually look at the data lifecycle. So collection, ingestion, storage, transformation, and then insights and helping the clients really understand what they want to do in the end so that we can plan those four steps accordingly. Fantastic. From what I'm hearing, as you said, it's very important to set your business goals and what you want to achieve your data. When you have set the business goal and what you want to achieve those data, we assess where you are right now. When you have assessed what you are, where you are right now, you can set a strategy for transformation. And after, after that, I guess, is having the right tools, you know, the dashboard is missing, the dashboard to really evaluate all the, evaluate and review and analyze all the, the data around all your stakeholders. Even it doesn't stop there. Obviously, when you have information that starts building up, you need to have a good system to review and the reporting and obviously evaluate the insight. Because what I see quite often, people have a lot of data, but they don't understand how to translate it, isn't it? I'm pretty sure you've seen that before, where they actually yeah. have to read between the lines. So I like that you mentioned this. Did I summarize it right? Or something else to add to it? Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, technology is um, it's one of those topics that, you know, clients try to push um, as early on. I mean, big consultancies are also very much um, technology and solution driven. Mm-hmm. What I try to do in my current practice is actually go from the use cases. So start with identifying those use cases that you need to develop, let's say in 18 to 24 months. To get there, you need to prioritize because you have resources constraints, budgetary constraints. So how do you prioritize this? Building a roadmap. But most importantly, now, if you want to develop predictive or prescriptive analytics or generative AI, you need to have some data management in place, right? You need to have some foundation around making sure that your data is clean, making sure that your data is protected and secured. So I start from the use cases. And then once we map that out and we prioritize, then we say, okay, to achieve those goals, these are the types of technologies that we can look at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is the end of the first part of this amazing podcast. I have so many, many questions to ask Svetlin, and I can't wait to do it after the break. You are listening to Tech Brains Talk, a conversation on the strategy of becoming a remarkable individual and creating iconic tech brands. Your host is Flavilla von Gang, author, speaker, and founder of Three Colors Rule, a creative branding and marketing agency for tech companies. For more information, go to threecoloursrule.com. If you found this podcast helpful, please help us by telling your friends and rating us a five stars on iTunes. Thank you. Now, back to where we left it off. Guess what? I'm still with Svetlin, and we've been talking a lot about data, and I hope that you've managed to grab some information that will help you in driving growth and innovation. I think one thing that always frustrated me, you know, working from a branding and marketing perspective, is when companies that goes and they're so convinced about the ideas and I will ask them, have you tested it? And they say, no, have you, what do you get this information from? As much as you get information externally, but actually most of the key innovation for growth are internal data. And this is one thing that we talked about in the first part, set your business goals, what you want to do with those data, being very clear, then assess it, then move into your, I call it digital or AI or data, actually data transformation with the right tools, whatever right tools with dashboards, the elements that will help you understand your universe or maybe the data around your stakeholders. And then obviously it doesn't stop just right there. Refining, reporting and evaluating information will help you get there. So 
as we're dealing with me, and the next question I want to ask you is, what are some of the key ways in which data can be leveraged to identify new business opportunities and fuel growth? Right. So to identify new opportunities and achieve business growth, what you can do is you can look at what are your current business levers and what are your current shortcomings, right? So the way I structure the use cases, I'm looking at revenue. So revenue generation or uh, revenue loss prevention. Then you're having costs. So how can you decrease your operational costs? Then you're having risks. If you can quantify those risks better. And then customer satisfaction. Obviously, how do you use uh, data to, to drive more customer satisfaction? Now, looking at those four buckets of use cases, the goal of the four is to increase your profitability. And that's how you drive up further business growth. And a lot of businesses out there, they go and they, they, they talk about using data as an asset and all of that. And I'm, I'm also guilty because I've done that too. But uh, in, lately, I'm really focusing on being super pragmatic taking maybe a step down from all the bells and whistles of, of those grand strategies and just looking at the business and thinking, okay, how can we increase profitability here? What are the levers that, that we can pull, right? Mm. So in, in terms of revenue generation, what are, for example, the new segments that we can address or what are the new markets that, that would um, have an appetite for our products or services? In terms of revenue loss prevention, for example, now I've worked with a client who were having a big problem of losing customers. And they were like, we know that we're bleeding money, but we, we can't really quantify this. And we sat down and I asked a few very simple questions. I was like, okay, what is your current churn? Let's say it was 20%, 20% here. Okay, where do you want to go? What does the business want? What's the big strategy? We want to reduce it to, let's say, 14%. Perfect. So now you have 6% of a delta. Then let's quantify those 6%. Now, uh, what's, what's your average customer value over a year? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's a range, but let's say it's about between 700 and 800, 900 a year. Perfect. And what does this 6% represent? Well, it's going to be about 2,000 customers a year. And I was like, well, there you have your answer, right? So if we tackle this use case, you can actually save 2,000 times 800. And this is your revenue loss uh, prevention. On the customer satisfaction side, this is really interesting because a customer, when is a customer satisfied? When their need is, um, is addressed, when their whole journey or interaction with the business is hassle-free. So I've had examples of, that's actually a personal example. So two months ago, I was in Kuala Lumpur and I was there for three days. I wanted to book a visit of the Petronas Towers. I booked the tickets just to realize an hour later that I booked them for a date when I wasn't in Kuala Lumpur, actually. Oh, so no. that was their earliest date. Yeah. So anyways, I wrote the customer service team. I was like, hey, you know, um, made a mistake here. It's only been an hour since I purchased the tickets. Could you guys reimburse me? Obviously, if I had realized the date was like in two weeks after I'm no longer in Kuala Lumpur, I wouldn't have bought it. 
anyways, they're like, yeah, we're sorry. Our cancellation policy doesn't allow the reimbursement, blah, blah, blah. Fair enough. It was a bitter moment. Mm. I was like, okay, I would swallow it and I would just continue my life. Two weeks after that, I receive an email and the email says, Mr. Zvetlin, we hope that you enjoyed your visit in the Petronas Towers. Could you give us a feedback on how the day went? Oh my <laughs> I was like, and I was like, I think I, I, I these guys <laughs> out of their mind. Like, oh, oh, oh. like I literally was first annoyed that I couldn't get yeah. this tour on the day when I was in Kuala Lumpur. Second, they just remind me of that and they ask me for feedback. So that's just an example of Where a business. You give that, feedback though. <laughs> No, I mean, I did send a few emails, but I mean, at this point, it's it's like, okay, do I really want to waste my time and energy? But it's just an example of a business that clearly doesn't have their systems integrated. Now, the guys that are, or, or maybe the workflow that is managing basically the feedback capture after an experience, this didn't took into account that I actually... I wasn't able to do the experience at all in the first place and that I even sent an email to explain the situation. And that's how you can improve your customer satisfaction. Just um, make sure that the systems you're using or let's talk about the go-to-market teams, right? You have your marketing, sales, customer support teams. Make sure that the information that flows between those three departments is seamless. All the teams are aligned and the customer is understood across those three teams. So you're not sending marketing materials for uh, additional products or services to you know customers that won't necessarily be interested. Mm. Um, you make sure you address the issues of those customers that have had some bad experiences, and you make sure that all those three teams are, are aligned on that. And how do you do that? Well, you need to have the proper uh, processes, streamlined processes, systems that talk to each other in a more seamless way, and a data model that is aligned across the three. Can I challenge you a little bit? Because <laughs> I think it's great yeah. what you say, but I think you know people who listen to this might be smaller businesses and some of them might be large businesses. You say, okay, that's brilliant. But usually those tools are accessible when you have a large budget, isn't it? And therefore, everyone not designed for smaller business. And I think this is where the issue is, is that you have a lot of great tech that is designed into your digital you know, enhancement whatsoever, but people have the right foundation and have the right tools to do it from the day one. Unfortunately, those tools are not available. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that's where the issue starts is that when these companies, you know, and technology companies can scale very, very fast, and this is where friction happens because they haven't properly done, you know, that customer journey data point throughout that customer journey hasn't been established because the company didn't prioritize you know, purchasing, or not that it didn't prioritize, but didn't have the budget allowance to put that into place since from day one. Mm. I take the challenge. So <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think what I've, I mean, what I've observed is companies that have budgets um, that would allow their teams to go and procure the latest tool out there. And this is not ideal either because you end up building your tech stack with a tool up on top of a tool on top of a tool and then it becomes more and more complex as it grows and um, especially in like older like big banks for example they have their legacy systems mm. now in the end the problem almost always comes down to people and data now the people 
need to be so the teams um, there there should be the level of transparency and alignment you cannot for example um, no matter what kind of tools you have implemented you cannot ask your marketing team to generate 10,000 leads per month and having your sales team contact only five leads a month right so mm. there need to be alignment on a people level and that means look at the kpis of the teams are they aligned or maybe develop okr framework like objectives and key results so we're going to have one okr one objective for the business um that's going to be uh, broken down into three key results and then all the separate teams would have their own um, objectives and key results that would drive towards that business one and then every team member within those teams would be also aligned to the team objectives and key results and to the business objective and key results now this is on people level on data level you just need to make sure that you have a clear understanding of who owns the data who's the data owner and this is also um, why currently there's this trend towards decentralization in terms of data management so we really need to understand who owns the data so the marketing uh, information would be owned by the marketing team sales by the sales team so on now when you have a data owner he is the one that needs to make sure when is a data or information changed within the systems when it is not right so another thing to think about is Looking at your data, you're having a data creator or a producer, and you're having a data consumer. So those two need to have sort of a, a service level agreement, an SLA established, so that the producer can meet the requirements of the consumer. And this is also another trend currently with, it's called the data contracts. So companies are building those data contracts between you know the ones that create the data and the ones that consume it exactly because that's a way to prevent any types of data misalignment or bad experience with the information when you use it but to your point that companies basically don't have budgets to get the latest shiniest tool i think i think the problem is not getting the shiniest tool it's basically making sure your teams and people are aligned mm. and and the information um, has a clear owner and basically those that consume it express their needs to those that create the data the data cannot be changed by anybody and and of course uh, vice versa um, those that create the data make sure that they're meeting their internal customers needs so look at that's why I love lately we talk about data as a product because it is a product. Data is not a technology, right? So you have an information that is being used internally. Your customers as a data producer are your colleagues that are going to use the data after that. So there need to be an agreement between the two parties um, as to what does this represent in terms of quality. You know, you're not going to send the data set, for example, with missing values, right? So you're going to make sure that you're going to first get the data set in order before publishing it or before sending it to your colleagues. Mm. You know, it's funny, when I think about data, and I think that the relation with data should be owned in the end of the consumer. And this is where, obviously, maybe that's another conversation where blockchain becomes so important. So what I mean by that is that 
if I own the data, I can choose who I want to share it with because mm. the ecosystem, the, the data journey, this is what it is. Like our own data with American Express, our own data with NetWest. If I'm able to share this data, they're able to better understand who I am and I make a choice in terms of who, whatever brands that I choose to give the data to. And with the power of blockchain in the back of that, if any infringement or anything happens, we can trace where it comes from. I think this is the future of where it needs to be. And we probably to have another conversation about that in another episode, but that's my thought about it because I think as much as you know, companies are trying to understand you know, the data that they own into their product, but beyond that, you know, there's an entire ecosystem where one customer will buy you know, from one brand that there's a correlation with other brands. And this is where companies can be very collaborative in the development of products on another level. And the, you know, behind that, unfortunately, I don't have the tech skills to do that, but that's probably where we look at in terms of redefining who owns the data and allowing customers to really decide I'm happy to share this information with brand A, B, or C, where at the moment, you know, you really end up in different mailing lists without any control, where the control is completely reversed. And, and actually, the customer also own the data and also have the value of it. But that's something that I want to talk about. I don't know how you feel about this, but that's something I always thought about was interesting, and hopefully we get there at some point. Yeah, absolutely. That's another fascinating topic. Yeah, really topic. I have a last question to ask you. This is my favorite question as we're wrapping up this amazing podcast episode is about legacy. When you think about your career and all the amazing things that you've done, how would you like to be remembered? Such an easy question. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I would like to be remembered as somebody who contributed um, to the world in terms of making information more available. So I came up with the name Scapebridge for my date consultancy because mm. I sat down on a December afternoon and I was like, I really need to get a name uh, for my company. But I was thinking, okay, what do I really want to do with that company? And in the end, it all comes down to the following. The data landscape gets more and more complex. You're having new tools, um, companies, teams need to figure out how to uh, piece them together. It's, it, almost all the tools are modular, so you can have two modules from one vendor, another two modules from a different vendor. And then you have the problem of information flow between individuals, information flow between teams, information flow within companies, and then information flow outside of the company towards the other stakeholders, like when it comes to like those data sharing consortiums. So I, I called the company Scapebridge because I want to basically help companies understand and navigate their data landscape and bridge the informational silos. And I think uh, on, a, on a meta level, uh, this is really what I'm striving for. I, I, I just want to help companies access information more easily, uh, prevent misalignment, um, drive more growth out of that information that's been shared and those insights that have been uncovered. That's amazing. And I hope, and I know, well, I hope, and I know that you will get there. So Svetlin, tell us where we can get in touch with you. What's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, the best way is good old LinkedIn. So Svetlin, T-S-V-E-T-E-L-I-N, Anastasov, A-N-A-S-T-A-S-O-V. I'm on uh, LinkedIn all day, every day. And then another way is um, Svetlin at scapebridge.com. 
Fantastic. Don't worry, we will share all the details in the description. So if you want to reach out and find your website and contact you, they'll be able to do so. So this was an interesting conversation, my dear listeners. I think when it comes to data, there's still a lot of work to do. And the sooner you start and the business starts more, the easier it will be. At the end of the day, we always talk about technology, but remember, it's always about people. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, like, share, comment, and I will see you very soon. Bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.